Good morning. It's great to have everyone out this morning uh, here for the worship service of the Lakeside Church of Christ. We're especially, again, very glad to have any visitors with us here for this gospel meeting. We hope that you find everything that we say and do here to be in accordance with God's Word. I'm very glad to have my family up that was mentioned um, from Tennessee. Uh, For our regulars here, I'll remind you that the last time that I stood up here at least for a sermon was actually October 2017. I'll also remind you that two days later, I was in the emergency room getting a spinal tap and a diagnosis of meningitis and then a three-night hospital stay. I say that to say there's no possible way that today's sermon could do me any worse than that one did, so (laughs) hopefully it goes a little bit better. I'm very humbled, very thankful for the opportunity to be able to speak, and I've been very encouraged to work alongside these brothers, Luke, Mitchell, Brandon, even Josh, in helping us to get get all of this together. We've all had to work together to get on the same page, so to speak. We've had to be unified in this topic, which is really reflect, reflective of the gospel meeting topic itself, revolving around this idea of walking worthy of our calling. Our theme passage, and if you've been here for all of the lessons heard it already several times, but we're going to hear it again, and hopefully we'll create this almost like a memory verse. But Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, and I'm reading out of the ESV for this particular verse, or set of verses. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We've already heard three great lessons, one on humility by Luke Friday night. Mitchell talked to us about gentleness this morning. We learned about patience from Brandon. Lots of walking going on this weekend. As the other men have discussed, Paul in the letter to Ephesians uses the word walk as a sort of metaphor to describe our Christian experience or our journey. As Mitchell very well broke down to us, walk definitely implies action, it implies doing, it is not a passive process. But this morning, we want to hone in on this idea of walking in forbearance, or if you read it out of one of the newer translations, the idea of bearing with. We're specifically talking about our walk with our fellow Christians. At first, I'm going to admit forbearance. Uh, was a word that I had skimmed over a lot of times growing up, reading mostly out of the King James Version. Uh, Many times that I read Ephesians 4, verse 2, it's not something that I necessarily paid a lot of attention to. It's likely not a word that you or I use a whole lot in our day-to-day vocabulary, but certainly we likely use the phrase bearing with. I use it almost on a daily basis Um, In my job as a physical therapist, a lot of times, especially on someone's first visit with me, it's very paperwork intensive and I'm having to type as they're speaking and I'll say, hey, uh, just bear with me for a moment while I get these notes in so that we can go much more hands on. Uh, Forbearance is defined as, at least per Google, patient self-control, restraint, and tolerance. Forbearance in Ephesians 4.2, and in this lesson, I think, involves utilizing these characteristics or these qualities that have already been discussed this weekend, humility, patience, and gentleness, to use those qualities to deal with, to put up with, or tolerate, specifically in this context, our brethren. 
It's used in a way that implies that we are to put up with them even when we simply don't want to, even when we're tempted to just let them have it sometimes. We have to be willing to put up with them. We know that the church, the body of Christ, that it's perfect, at least in its head and in its design. But we also know and that we're well aware that it's made up of many imperfect people, both you and I. And thus, there are going to likely be times when we have to forbear with our fellow Christians because issues arise, no one is perfect. Paul knew through observation, through experience with dealing with new Christians, because after all, Christianity was relatively new at this time. But most importantly, he knew through divine inspiration that sometimes personalities would clash. Sometimes there would be simply times where we just have to bear with our brother or our sister, that that conflicts can arise. And so we say, well, why do I need to just put up with someone that I just can't get along with or that I disagree with? Well, Paul, through inspiration, tells us in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 4, he says that the end goal in mind here is to maintain unity. And unity is a word that I hope you almost get sick with by the end of today because I mention it so much because that's really what we're talking about. We need to learn to bear with our fellow Christians in order to establish, achieve, and maintain unity. Paul goes on then to describe the great list of ones and what exactly unity looks like. He says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. You see, when we have conflict, we have to be able to center ourselves back around our one faith in God. I think of it almost like, much like teammates who are in the heat of battle on a difficult game. Sometimes personalities are clashing, tempers are flaring because things aren't going quite so smoothly. But they all have to come back into the same huddle, working toward the same goal. And that's exactly what we have to be like with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what our Christian walk should look like. We have to be willing to forbear with our brother or sister You know the one that maybe has a personality that just doesn't quite jive with our personality. We don't have the option to say, hey, I just can't get along with you. You go do your faith over here. I'll go do my faith over here. Paul says, no, one faith, working and walking together. We have to bear with maybe our fellow Christian who just isn't the most Um, socially outgoing or personable, and sometimes it may even come off like they just don't like us, but it's probably just because really they're a shy person. We have very different personalities, but we have to be willing and able to forbear with those differences. I can give you an example recently of when someone has had to forbear with me. I recently had a conversation in the lobby with one of our sisters here at Lakeside, and Ashley was standing with me. I thought the conversation went quite well. But afterwards, as we were walking out, Ashley looks at me and she said, you didn't smile one time. And it kind of took me back. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, no, seriously, you're embarrassing. I had to smile for you the entire conversation. If you got to know me in the last three years, I'm not a good person to show outward emotion. But rest assured, I'm keenly interested in what you have to say. I'm just maybe not one of the most bubbly or outgoing personality people, I need you to bear with me. You see, we've all got different strengths. We've all got different weaknesses, but we have to be willing to play up on each other's strengths all while bearing with each other's weaknesses. That's what walking together and forbearance looks like. And these are certainly some lighter examples of forbearance. 
But I'm afraid that there are going to be times where we're really going to have to sink our teeth into the idea of forbearance because at some point there's going to be some serious or uncomfortable circumstances that arise in the church, times where feelings can get hurt and ultimately our unity can be at stake. Because of this, I want us to consider three keys or three points that we can learn how to better walk with forbearance with our fellow Christians for when and if these issues arise. Point number one, I believe that in order to be able to walk better in forbearance, we need to learn to be able to check our opinions at the door. When I was 16 years old, I'd only been a Christian for less than a year, and one particular Sunday morning, I waited on the table. What I wore that morning was khakis, dress shoes, and a button-up shirt. After service, and because of previous times of having done that service, I had gotten quite used to people walking up and being encouraging and saying, um, you know, good job, thanks, thanks for doing that today, or, or whatnot. This one particular gentleman approached me, and he said, you know, with, with no gentleness, by the way, whatsoever, like Mitchell talked about, really with no tact whatsoever, he said, you know, I think a young man really ought to be wearing a suit and tie to be waiting on the table. I could elaborate on exactly what that made me feel like and, and go on with the implications of that. But what I can say is that it really didn't achieve anything productive. That man's negative influence on me was predicated by nothing more than his opinion. And the reason being, it didn't involve a spirit of forbearance. That one may have looked like that brother being willing to forbear with me in place of being encouraging so that one day he could explain to me with gentleness and with patience and with ultimately with love his opinion on how he thought that I should dress. Now fast forward to another example in my own life a few years. Now I'm 17, 18 years old, and I actually developed a condition. I developed a condition where I forgot where the barbershop was. My mom's looking at me like, you didn't develop a condition when you were 17. Now she she remembers. Um, Let my hair grow out, okay? My dad made that pretty clear that that wasn't his favorite, but you know what? He did not make a stink about it. I've never really asked why, but I'd assume because he wanted to pick his battles with me. He wanted to retain his effectiveness with me as my father. Him not forcing his opinion on me allowed him to remain extremely influential with me at times when the issue at hand was no longer a matter of opinion, but perhaps relating to a safety or even a spiritual issue. Similarly, in the church, imagine an individual who goes around forcing or binding their opinion on others. They act mad when their opinions aren't accepted. How little influence will that individual have on others when doctrinal issues arise and things get really serious? On the other hand, imagine a brother who is always easygoing and he holds his peace whenever he has an opinion that's not in the majority This is not to say that he's sitting idly by and not expressing his opinion, but he doesn't make a stink or a fuss when his opinion isn't the main opinion or the accepted opinion because he knows that it's just that. It's an opinion. He wants to retain his effectiveness with his brothers and sisters, and he doesn't want to create disunity. You see, we have to bear with our brothers and sisters over matters of opinion because chances are our opinions are going to differ at some point from everyone else's. When and if the time comes that we need to update the building at Lakeside, let's say that we've been here for long enough that the carpet's just completely worn out and we have to make some 
decisions on something as simple as interior design or the color of the carpet. You can imagine that not every, not 120 or 30-something people is going to be able to come to the same conclusion on exactly what that looks like. But it's just an opinion. We have to be able to have an opinion that differs from our own in order to maintain unity. Maybe when we discuss the small details, the non-doctrinal issues like the order of worship, and whether or not before Wednesday night Bible study we're going to have a prayer or we're going to have a prayer and a scripture reading and what that exactly looks like. If our goal is unity, we'll recognize when our opinion is an opinion and we'll allow ours to take a back seat for the sake of unity. Turn over, if you will, to Acts, the 15th chapter. And I want us to examine a passage that's probably pretty familiar to all of us, and kind of looking at this idea of matters of opinion. Acts, the 15th chapter, and if you will, zero in on verses 36 through 41. Acts 15, 36 through 41 reads... And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Here we see a disagreement. This can be a little bit hard to read because we see a disagreement among brothers who had otherwise prior to this been very close. It was a disagreement over whether Mark was to be taken on their next missionary journey. At first glance, it kind of seems like a division took place. I'm going to suggest to you that division would have looked like this. It would have been Paul saying something to the tune of, you know what, I'm not even going now. If my opinion doesn't mean any more to this, any more to you than this, then, then I'm just not going to go. I'm just going to throw in the towel. But instead, we don't see division. Really what we see is multiplication. We see what would have otherwise been one missionary team now become two. And they did not then spread their separate ways to preach two different gospels, they went their separate ways, both working together in unity to preach the same gospel. In effect, they agreed to disagree, still being unified in one Lord and one faith. We have to be willing to have our disagreements over opinion, but at the end of the day, remain unified, working toward the same goal. I can tell you why we probably don't like to have our opinions challenged, or why We don't like to have our opinions take a back seat, and that's something that Luke touched on in his lesson with humility, and that is because of pride. Luke did a great job breaking down how pride is the exact opposite of humility. Sinful pride, in the case of our Christian walk, in the case of bearing with our brothers and sisters, places the satisfaction of being right over and above maintaining unity in the church. Pride can make us willing to force our opinion on others because we would rather be right than to have unity. How often have we heard of churches splitting because of opinion issues? We have to let go of our pride in our Christian walk. It's been brought up in a couple of the other lessons, and I'm going to bring it up in mine. Do you think that this may come up at all with our process when we start 
trying to select elders for this congregation or install elders. What if we come up with a few really good, scripturally qualified men, but one of those men I had a non-doctrinal disagreement with seven years ago, and I've just not been able to let that go. Am I willing to let go of my pride? Am I willing to let go of my opinion or even my grudge for the sake of establishing well-qualified elders in the church, for the good of the church, for unity? It's a question that we have to ask. We have to be able to check our opinions at the door. Point number two. I believe that we have to, in order to walk in forbearance, we have to be able to consider our brother or our sister's perspective. When issues arise, how often, when tense moments in the church arise, do we forget, do I forget, to consider my brother or my sister's perspective? When a disagreement over the temperature that we're going to maintain in the auditorium arises, does one individual cling to the notion that they just have to wear a three-piece suit in the middle of summer and have it at a clean, crisp 62 degrees, all while... Sister so-and-so over here who has thyroid issues, she's so cold and she can't even worship because of how cold she is. Are we at least willing to consider the other person's perspective for the sake of maintaining unity and properly bear with one another in the church? Even when issues, we've talked a lot about opinion here, but even when issues over doctrinal matters arise, are we at least willing to consider the perspective of our brother or sister that we're dealing with. If so, we're likely going to find that that brother or that sister is working toward the exact same goal that we're working toward, and that is to do the will of God and to go to heaven. No way, shape, or form suggesting that forbearance means that we're just going to let go of something that we fundamentally disagree with. Quite the opposite. We have an obligation to approach our brother or sister who we feel like there's a doctrinal disagreement with, but approach them in humility, in gentleness, in patience, in forbearance. I'm going to suggest that we have to forbear with them, at least for a time, while we consider their perspective. This one may make you squirm in your seat a little bit, but I know many of you are here to observe it, but... I know for sure that there's some differing ideas between the very people in this room regarding some of the details of the qualifications of elders. We have to ask ourselves, is it my knee-jerk reaction to say, I cannot believe that so-and-so could believe something that ignorant? Or how could they be that dumb to believe that? Or do we say, you know what, they're obviously coming at this from a very different background than what I'm coming from, from a very different perspective. We need to try to work through this because I love my brother or my sister dearly. Which attitude do we have? Are we considering our brother or our sister's perspective? Does anyone here really think that anyone else here desires any less to have elders or that they desire any less to have elders that are scripturally qualified? And I would say, of course, they don't. I want us to consider now 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to look at something that I think at least relates to this idea. I think we can take some insight from it when we're talking about when these sort of doctrinal issues arise. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to look at verses 4 through 9. 
1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 9 reads, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Here we see, clearly I think, two differing levels of understanding on one particular issue. Paul doesn't say, hey, you just go ahead and eat the meat, because the only the, only the ignorant actually believe that Eating that meat is sinful. That's not at all what he says. Paul exhorts that we're not to create a stumbling block for our brother. He says in verse 13, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. I fear all too often that many, myself included, have had the attitude that when a brother doesn't have our same understanding on a particular issue, that maybe they're just weak or they're uneducated, Maybe they just don't care about the Bible like we care about it. With this attitude, unity is going to be quite hard to establish in the church. But if we consider their perspective, maybe we can come to some sort of an understanding through searching out the Scripture together while working to achieve unity. It may be of interest to you for me to describe how different my church experience was while growing up, just to maybe further illustrate this point. Um, I've been very nervous about bringing this up uh, because I'm not sure that many of you may even know this about my background. So just know that everything I'm about to say is completely in love and in working toward trying to establish unity. Allow me to Talk about our Sunday morning worship experience. Sunday morning Bible study, 9 a.m., very different than here. Men standing in the foyer, shaking hands and greeting visitors between class. Announcements before services, two songs, then a scripture reading, then a prayer. Then we would have one more song. Then the preacher would get up and he would say something to the tune of how glad that he was have to have everyone there and, and that he wanted everything to come from the Bible. And then at the end, he would have an invitation relating to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We would have an invitation song. We would have a song before communion. We would have an offering. We would have another song, and then we would have a closing prayer. Repeat that Sunday night, and then a Bible study on Wednesday night at 6, not 7. Sounds quite a bit different, right? Of course it doesn't. It sounds pretty much exactly the same. But allow me to explain where there really are actually some differences. You see, after a morning worship service, where I come from, about one time a month we would all go downstairs and we would have a meal together in our multi-purpose room. It's completely beyond the scope of this lesson for me to discuss those issues, and I'd be happy to do it with any and all of you. But I simply bring it up to make the point that I have a little bit differing understanding on some of these issues than perhaps many of you do. I have a different perspective. 
Yet you'll notice that in all the Bible classes that I've ever taught here at Lakeside, in any of the other sermons, or even any of the Wednesday night devotionals, I have never brought that issue up. And the reason is, is because I know that many of my brothers and sisters here have differing perspectives, differing views, different backgrounds on those issues. And the absolute last thing that I would want to do would be to offend my brother or sister or create disunity within the church. I do not want there to be two churches of Christ. I've been willing to forbear in situations a few times, outside of services mostly, where a brother or sister has made a comment about those sort of issues that implies that those congregations, they just don't really desire the same degree as what we do to do what the Lord says. They can't because they're just so ultra-liberal. I've been willing to forbear during those moments because I have developed a great love and respect for every single person in this room, and I desire unity. I've come to learn that through our perspectives and understandings are very different, we really ultimately want the same thing, and that is to do exactly what God's Word has to say and to go to heaven. Again, forbearing doesn't mean that you have to disagree with with that idea or with, with something that you find fundamentally wrong. That is not at all what I'm up here trying to say. But I do think that it means that you'll be willing to handle your brother or your sister with humility, patience, gentleness, because you love them and you value unity. Paul encourages us in our very theme passage in the New King James Version, he says, to endeavor to maintain unity. We have to consider our brother's perspective. My third point, we have to, in order to walk in forbearance, I think we really need to tap into the idea that we need to learn to forbear like family. If a stranger walks up to me in Walmart and they say, you idiot, I'm going to be a little bit taken back by that, right? I'm, I'm, my forbearance level is going to be on the low end of the spectrum if a complete stranger comes up and says something like that. If my sister Allie sitting right there says, you idiot, I might actually respond with, I love you too, sis. And that's, that's because we treat our family so much differently than we treat strangers or even mere acquaintances. How does the Bible repeatedly refer to our fellow Christians as siblings? So it shouldn't come hard then for us to understand what our relationships with our fellow Christians should look like by looking at quality family relationships. But if we only see someone three times a week and we never spend any time and quality conversation with them, it really doesn't look much like what a quality family relationship should look like. When our spiritual relationships are that shallow, unity is going to be very hard for us to establish. Forbearance is going to be quite difficult when disagreements or conflicts arise. In order to walk in forbearance, we have to cultivate relationships with our spiritual siblings in the same exact way that we do with our physical family by spending time with them. When we do this, conflicts may arise just like they do in our physical families, but how much easier will it be to forbear with our brother or our sister when these conflicts, when these disagreements arise because now we love them not just on a superficial level, but we love them like we love our own family. Parents in the room. Do you really have a hard time bearing with your children? 
And I know you're saying, Josh, you don't have to take them home with you every night. Seriously, though, my guess is you put up with and you tolerate so much from your kids because you love them. We have to be willing and able to put up with so much from our brothers and sisters in Christ because we still love them. I feel like I fail miserably on a daily basis in my relationship with the Lord because we all sin. God has put up with so much from me. He bears with me. The absolute least thing that I can do then is be willing to bear with my brother or my sister, maybe even one that's worn me out time and time again because so have I done to God. It reminds me of the story of the servant in Christ's parable in Matthew 18, the one who owed the king 10,000 talents, but the king forgave him. I'm sure we all remember that parable. The same servant went and he grabbed his fellow servant by the throat and he demanded payment of a mere 100 denarii, not even a fraction of what he owed the king. We know what, what happened. The king who forgave, he found out and he had that servant tortured. When we have a disagreement with our brother, are we grabbing our brother by the throat, so to speak, all while forgetting the exact debt that has been forgiven us by God the Father? Some negative things to think about there, and yet how sweet it is when we can see these characteristics, these qualities of humility, of gentleness, of patience, and forbearance abounding within the church. The reason is it creates a family. It's my hope that by checking our opinions or considering our brother's perspective and learning to forbear like family, it's my hope that these will be three points that we can learn from and that we can carry with us as Christians, and so that people can see that we're a part of the greatest family on earth. It makes me think of one of my favorite passages, and that's in John 13 and 35, which says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Hopefully that will be a nice lead-in for my brother Cain for this evening as he talks about walking in love. If there are those here this morning who realize that Perhaps they have not been walking worthy of their calling as a Christian. They've been conducting themselves in a way that's not becoming of a Christian. We have an opportunity right now for you to make that right by coming forward. Also this morning, we've spent a lot of time talking about how to improve our relationships with our fellow Christians and how that being a Christian means that we're part of the greatest family on earth. Our new brother, Ben, he decided that he wanted to be a part of that family just last night. If there are those here who still need to become a Christian, God desperately wants you to be in that family. We want you to be in that family. If that be the case, we would love for you to come forward so that you can be baptized into Christ this morning as we stand and sing.